Amen. Thank you. Man, we will sing glory to his name. One thing I like to remind myself of is when I come to church on Sunday morning is that no matter whether or not God does one single thing for us, he's worthy of our praise. Amen. It's, it's, not, it's not about us and what we get out of it when we come to church on Sunday morning. It is about coming to worship and to sing glory to his name. And uh, it is so, so, so much a privilege to be able to do so. Well, um, I want you, we're going to hit a number of passages of scripture in just a moment. If you want to get your Bibles open and ready for them, uh, one of them will be 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then... Uh, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll be hitting some others as well, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'd also like to say, man, it is great to have you, whether you're here live and in person, whether you're watching online. We are so, so glad to have you at New Life Church of the Nazarene. We know there's a thousand other places you could be. There's a thousand other things you could be doing. And uh, yet, you choose to be here and we, we are so grateful to worship with you. Can, can, can I just say this? If you are new, I would love to meet you after church. Um, also, if you're new with us, I would invite you just to take a minute, pull out your phone even now. Or if you're watching online, you're sitting there at a computer or on your phone already. Um, but I would invite you to pull out your phone and go to newlifenaz.net. Newlifenaz.net. And go up into the menu bar, and there is a tab that says Connect. I would love for you to take 60 seconds and fill that out if you are new with us so that we can just know that you are with us. Um, we don't want anything from you. In fact, we will say this. On your behalf, if you'll take a moment to do that, um, on your behalf, we're going to give $5 to one of the local nonprofit organizations here in our community. So by doing that, you are helping one of our local nonprofit ministries here in town. And you say, $5 doesn't sound like a lot. Let me tell you, with all the visitors and guests we have over a 12-month period, it adds up. And uh, that's just one more way we can help our community. Um, another thing, if you're physically here in the building and you're new and you do that, just let them know as you leave, you'll walk by the Welcome Center um, and let them know that. They'll give you one of our New Life tumblers, which will just be a small gift to say thank you uh, for being here with us. Well, oh, reminder, here's another thing. This is for everyone, all right? This is for everyone. We have, we, we love to get the word out about New Life Church and to our community because we want everyone to be here, right? We, we just want to keep reaching people. And so just a simple little marketing way to, to just get us in front of people that may never darken the doors of our church, we got a bunch of these car decals, these, these static stickers. They don't leave a sticky mess on your vehicle or anything. Um, I've got one where I just put it on the back of my truck window, window so if I'm at a red light or driving, people can see it and go, oh, new life, I've heard about that. We have one of those for everybody who will promise to drive like a Christian as you leave this place, all right? So be sure to take one of these, and as someone hands you one and you reach out to receive it, you are saying, I am making a vow to drive like I am a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Um, and so when that person in front of you is looking down at their phone at a red light and they don't go for 30 seconds until after it's green, you're not going to honk and yell at them, right? Um, when, when, when you're driving through the, uh, the bank drive-thru, right, and apparently the car in front of you at the bank drive-thru has decided to refinance their house through the bank drive-thru, you're not going to get all crazy, right, because you have one of these on your window and you have Jesus in your heart. All right, can we just say that? Now, if, if that is not you, please do not take one. <laughs> um, and I know some of you. So, you know, if, you're, if you say, man, I know I put one of those on my car last night, <laughs> and it's no longer there, I'm driving over to your house going, we're going to pull this off. Um, great to have the Jones family with us. As uh, many of you know, my daughter Taylor and Ryan got married about a month, five, six weeks ago, somewhere in there. And now here they are at my house sleeping in the same room. And I just tell you, that's messing with my head big time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know when or if you get over that. Some of you who have been a dad of a daughter and maybe you've been in this longer than I have and they've been married for a long time, let me know if you get over this because it's just every time I see Ryan walk into that room, I'm like, I, do I punch him in the face? Do I, what do I do here? I don't know what to do. We're praying through it. It's messing with me, but we're getting through it. Well, we're continuing our sermon series entitled The Big Six. Um, the Big Six relates to our six core values as New Life Church of the Nazarene. Every, everything we do should be filtered through these values. If, if we get outside of these values as a church, we lose our clarity, uh, we lose our focus. If we live within these values, I believe that we can change the world for Jesus. Okay, you remember I told you a week or two back, when I do this like at least three times... Boom, boom, boom. After the third time, that's a great place for an amen, all right? Are you with me? Okay, so if we live within these values, I believe we can change the world for Jesus. Amen. amen. So value number one, we talked about Jesus is our focus. Can, just a brief summary here. Can I just tell you, I don't care what politics say. I don't care what our culture says. I don't care what society teaches. I don't care what Oprah or whoever else says. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be brought into a right relationship with God, period. Um, if we keep our eyes on him... Things will make sense for us as a church. The second we take our eyes, our focus off Jesus, nothing else, none of these other values are, just forget them. It's not going to work. Jesus is our focus. The second week, we talked about hope is our message. Hope is our message. Why? Because at the end of the day, the message of the gospel is a message of hope. And it's not just hope for the hereafter, which I'm going to talk about that in a couple weeks, um, but it's hope for the here and now as well. It's not just hope about heaven, even though that is our hope, right? I mean, if, if you are living life 
uh, and you're basing your hope on, on the circumstances of this world, you are going to be the most incredibly miserable person in the world, and you are going to be greatly disappointed. But if your hope is in heaven, ultimately, you can rest assured that's going to happen if you're a follower of Christ. But it's not just about, the hope isn't just about that. The hope is about the here and now. Because I believe that when you open your heart up to Jesus, transformation happens. You are made a new creation in Christ. You become a better person, not, not better than people around you, but in your thinking and in your, in your processing and your worldview and the, way, the reasons why you do things becomes a totally different perspective. You're marching to a totally different drummer, and I believe that it makes life better here and now. I cannot imagine the mess my life would be if I were not following Jesus. It's, it's helped me here and now, right? All right. Um, let's see. Oh, last week, Pastor Andrew talked about uh, people are our focus, right? So it's not buildings. Buildings are not our focus. Programs are not our focus. Money is not our focus, right? All of these things are a necessary part of reaching people, but ultimately they're not our focus. People are our focus. People are the only thing that's going to last forever, so people are a focus. Today we're going to talk about the fact that brokenness, brokenness is our story. It's a, it's a part of each of our stories. I understand that talking about brokenness might make some uncomfortable. I also understand that contrary to the image that we so often try to project, like there is no brokenness in my life, there's brokenness in our lives. It, it some way, shape, or form, it might be physically. Some of you have dealt with or are dealing with diseases, and, and that's brokenness, right? Or physical ailments or handicap, and there's, there's brokenness there. Or emotionally, or relational brokenness, or spiritual brokenness, financial, on and on and on. Or maybe your brokenness is the fact that you are not willing to admit that there's brokenness in your story. Maybe that's your brokenness. Uh, this issue is not whether or not I, you, we have experienced brokenness. The issue is, the question of the morning is, what are you going to do with your brokenness, um, because too often we we don't we, we we don't want to admit we're broken. We deny we're broken. Some of us resent that we have brokenness in our life today or from the past. Whatever, uh, we don't want anybody to see that we're broken. But then God comes along, and this is this is one of the elements of the message of hope. God comes along and says, Troy, you know what? I know you're broken. I want to use your brokenness for my glory. Because there are other people who are around you broken and they need to hear the story. Um, that doesn't make sense to us. 
we, we think, okay, God can use my areas of strength. God can use my areas of wholeness. God can use my areas that are healthy. And, and God does. God does use our wholeness. God does use our areas of strength and the areas we feel good about. But Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9 says this. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What's interesting about that is sometimes the way we think God should work, the way in our minds that it would make sense for God to work, the Bible tells us he works in the exact opposite ways. God does not want to work around your brokenness. God does not want to work in spite of your brokenness. God wants to use your brokenness for his glory. So here comes the first passage I mentioned to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says this. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose, circle those two words in your mind, God chose the what? The weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chooses to use the weaknesses in your life. Maybe a better title for the sermon would be the sweetness of weakness, right? God uses our brokenness. Why? Because it demonstrates his power. If, if everything I'm accomplishing is because of my ability, my power, my wisdom, my brain, whatever... God gets none of the glory, but the moment people see in my life this brokenness and yet God is using it for his glory, then God gets all the glory because it's his strength, his power, his wisdom that's making it all happen. It's not Troy, right? Now, before I go any further, let me make a, a, a very necessary clarification here as I preach on brokenness. When I talk about God using your brokenness, that is not an excuse to continue living in sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the fact that some of us need to deal with our character flaws, things you can change uh, such as impatience or greed or laziness or temper or addictions or, you know, the list goes on. God loves you just the way you are, but you know what? He loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. Um, and one of the, I, I forget here if it's next week or the week after, uh, we're going to talk about the fact that uh, one of our values is that um, through the power of God, transformation is not only possible, but transformation is necessary in the life of the believer. Okay? So, so what I'm not doing is I'm not excusing sin. I'm not excusing ongoing dysfunction with which you should get help. I should get help. We should work through these things, right? Things that we can change, things that we should change. I'm not talking about those things. I'm just talking about the fact that in some way, brokenness is a part of each of our stories. Here's a great way to think about it. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 
but we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So God puts his wisdom, God puts his joy, God puts his salvation in your body, which according to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is just a clay pot. In fact, I think I could go as far to say that we're cracked pots most of the time, right? Um, the thing about clay pots is that they break, they have flaws in them. Paul is saying, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not indestructible. I'm a human being. My body is a clay pot. We're broken, but God works in our brokenness, which shows that the power and anything good that's happening in and through our lives is coming from him and not from us. God puts his greatest gift in ordinary containers like you and me. You, you, you might think that God could never use you because of your brokenness, but what scripture teaches me is that that's the exact kind of person that God uses is someone who is broken. But in order for God to use you in your brokenness, you must admit that you are broken. You must confess your condition. Stop pretending like you have it all together because you don't and neither do I. You know, stop hoping that our brokenness will just kind of magically go away if I just ignore it or stop blaming other people for, for your brokenness. Stop trying to hide your brokenness. I've said it before that I think it's an incredibly sad situation when people are more comfortable sharing their brokenness with their buddies down at the bar than they are at the church. That's the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be. People are more willing to be honest and vulnerable and transparent about the brokenness in their life while sitting at the local bar versus in a family, spiritual family setting like this. It's, you know, it's like Flip Wilson used to say. Anybody know who Flip Wilson is? Okay, anybody under 30 know who Flip Wilson is? I'll, I'll try to update my illustrations. He said there was a line he would always say, that many of you know it, what you see is what you get. Be honest. Be vulnerable. Vulnerability means risk. It's risky to be honest. You, you don't know how they're going to respond. So what I'm afraid of is this, is that if I really let you know what I'm like, what I'm really like, if I, let, if I become vulnerable, if I let you see my brokenness, if I let you see the things I struggle with, if I let you see my past, then if you don't like it, then I am up a creek because I'm all I've got. And at the end of the day, all of us want to be accepted and want to be loved. And so, too often we wear this mask, right, to hide the brokenness. Too often we pretend to be something that we're not. It makes me think of a young couple who was just days away from getting married and the, the, the groom-to-be 
just days before their wedding, is having this conversation with his dad. And he says, Dad, I'm so anxious. I'm so nervous about getting married. And dad says, why? She's a great girl. You guys love each other. It's going to be great. And the young man that's soon to be married says, Dad, but you know the issue with my smelly feet, right? I have horrific smelling feet. And I've been able to keep this from my bride-to-be for all the time we've dated. And, uh, but now we're going to be married. We're going to be living in the same house, sleeping in the same bed, all this stuff. And now she's going to find out, and I'm just incredibly anxious about this. And Dad says, don't worry. He said, obviously, you wear shoes during the day, no problem. Just at night when you go to bed, put socks on. She'll never have any idea about your, your smelly feet. What's interesting, and basically the same just a few days before, the, the bride-to-be is having a very similar conversation with her mother, going, Mom, I'm anxious about getting married. I'm you know my situation with my morning breath is just horrible, it's just yucky, and I've been able to keep my morning breath, that whole situation away from him knowing anything about it, but now we're going to be living together, and blah, 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 you know, the story goes on. And mom says, hey, don't worry about it. When you wake up in the morning, before you open your mouth, before you say a word, before you say or do anything, just make your way to the bathroom, mouthwash, brush your teeth, um, whatever the case might be, and he will never find out. And so so the wedding goes off without a hitch. Uh, they end up getting married. They, they live happily together for, you know, months. And then about six months into their new marriage, one morning, early morning, the husband wakes up and realizes that one of the socks has, coming off, has come off his foot. And he panics and he starts kind of casually trying to feel around under the covers for that smelly, elusive sock, and he can't find it. And then he gets really panicked while she's sleeping beside him, and he just crawls under the covers, and man, he's just frantically searching for the smelly sock and on and on. And in the midst of all of this, the new bride wakes up, and she, he, she looks at him, and his head pops out from under the blankets, and she goes, what in the world are you doing? To which he responds, oh, no, honey, you've swallowed one of my socks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's risky, risky to be vulnerable with each other. If I let you know about my smelly feet, if I let you know about my breath, if I let you know about my struggles or my brokenness or my fears, then you may not accept me. So what I will do is I will wear a mask and I'll pretend to be something that I'm not so that I can assure that you will like me. Because if I let you know what I'm really like, that I'm broken, that I don't have it all together, then you may not accept me. And I want to be accepted and so I wear the mask can I just tell you based on stories in scripture broken people are in great company I, I, I think of Moses Moses had an anger issue there's one story in his life where Moses got angry at an Egyptian and he kills the Egyptian and he has to flee Egypt. Moses got angry one time and rather than speaking to a rock, he struck the rock, which was not God's command, and it kept him out of the promised land. Moses 
was coming down from the mount with the Ten Commandments, the original copy of the Ten Commandments. He gets angry. He slams them on the ground and breaks them out of anger. I can't fathom the conversation when he went back up to the mountain to talk to God. Can I get a second copy of that? But, but this is anger. Anger created these broken parts of the story of Moses, and yet the Bible only refers to two people in all of Scripture as meek. Do you know what meek means? Meek means anger under control. Do you know who the two people are that the Bible refers to as meek? The first one's easy. It's Jesus. Guess who the second one is? Moses. God took one of his areas of brokenness. God took one of his areas of weakness and turned it into one of his greatest strengths. He, Moses was a patient man. He was in a wilderness for 40 years with a million crying babies, literally, and God helped him through that. And then I think, I think of David. David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. You would think Mr. Purity, but David stole a man's wife committed adultery with this woman, and then has the man killed. I don't call that Mr. Purity, and yet David's greatest area of failure, of brokenness, God turns it around and builds it into a strength, and literally God refers to David as a man after my own heart. He took his brokenness and used it for his glory. Then think about Abraham. In the Bible, Abraham's referred to as the father of faith. I mean, he is the Mac Daddy spiritual giant, right? Abraham. He has enormous faith. And yet, when you study Abraham's life, one of his greatest weaknesses was his lack of faith. He was a doubter. He was always worrying. There's a story in Scripture that tells us that one time Abraham and his tribe, they came up onto their enemy. And Abraham looks at his wife, true story, looks at his wife and says, hey, would you pretend that you're my sister so they won't kill me to get to you? This is Abraham. I'm sure his wife is thinking, wow, you are an incredible man of faith. You would give me up to protect your own life. God took Abraham's greatest weakness, which was his faith, and turned it into strength. And then I think of Gideon. Gideon was a young man when an enemy nation, the Midianites, had taken over Israel. They had conquered Israel. And God said, I want to get rid of these Midianites. I want to send them out. There were about 135,000 of these Midianites occupying Israel, according to the Bible. And God goes to the smallest tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel... He finds the poorest family. He picks the youngest guy, the youngest kid in that family, and says, Gideon, you are going to be the one to deliver my people. You are going to be a mighty man of valor. And literally, Gideon is hiding away in a cave, and God is talking to him about this. And he says, you know, who, me? This is going to be me? And yet God took Gideon, who is broken and weak and hiding in a cave, and says, I'm going to turn that into a strength, and you're going to be a mighty man of valor for my glory. And then I think of Peter. Um, Jesus came to Peter and said, you're the rock, man. You're, you're Mr. Stability. 
You're the rock from now on. You're stable. Peter was anything but stable. He was Mr. Do Something Impossibly Now and Regret It Later. Peter says, oh, I'll never deny you, Jesus. Guess what? Moments later, he denied Christ three different times. Peter gets up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, hey, let's just stay here. Let's build tents. Let's not get back down into the world and do the work and the business. Let's just stay here. And then there's a story. Some of you maybe heard this story about when Jesus was about to be arrested by the soldiers. And they go to take Jesus. And Peter pulls out his sword and he whacks off this guy's ear, and Jesus says, no, Peter, stop. That's not who we are. That's not how we function. That's not what we do. And then Jesus picks up the man's ear off the ground, places it back to his head. Can, can I just stop for a minute and just say, that is really cool. <laughs> and yet Peter ends up being one of the great disciples. Many of God's giants have been men and women who were broken and filled with weakness. What about Jacob? I think of Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. He was a manipulator. He made one mess after another, and then he would run from that mess. One night, Jacob has a dream that he's wrestling with God, and Jacob says, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And then this is interesting. There's a twist of the story. God says, all right, but God touches Jacob on the thigh, which, by the way, is the strongest muscle in your body, right? He touches him on the thigh. He pulls his uh, hip out of socket, right? The thigh muscle was Jacob's strength. God touched him at his greatest point of strength, and the Bible says that from that point on, yes, God blessed Jacob, but Jacob walked with a limp. Why? Touched at his greatest point of strength became a weakness walking with a limp for the rest of his days. Why? One reason, I think, might be that God wanted Jacob to have a constant reminder, hey, Anything good that comes from you is because of my strength, not yours, Jacob. I think maybe the second reason is that God says, hey, Jacob, you're no longer going to create these messes and then be able to run from them because you're not going to be able to run. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, all right? The entire nation is named after this guy, Jacob, which literally means schemer, deceiver, manipulator is now changed to Israel which means prince of God and the entire nation is named after this guy and so God wants to take our area of brokenness God wants to take our area of greatest weakness turn it into strength but if he does you may walk with a limp if God blesses you you may have the thorn in your side as a constant reminder that God is in charge, that anything good comes from God, that any power comes from God, and these are constant reminders. You see, God placed you on this earth not just for yourself, but to help others around you. Your, your greatest area of ministry will flow out of your greatest weakness. Your life message, the message that God wants to use to help other people around you is going to flow out of your deepest hurt. God can use the very thing that causes you grief 
and pain and discouragement to encourage other people. People are going to be helped. People are going to be encouraged. People are going to be healed by the wounds of your life. God says, I want to use that. I want to use that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says this. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God? Who can better help someone that's facing divorce than someone who has felt the pain of a spouse walking out on them? Who can better help someone who grew up in a dysfunctional family than somebody who has gone through it? Who can better help someone who's struggling with an addiction than somebody who struggled with an addiction themselves and yet Jesus has brought healing and, and wholeness into their lives? And so I would ask you, what's the brokenness in your life? I would invite you to give that brokenness to God. I would challenge you to understand that God is not going to work in spite of your brokenness. God wants to work in your brokenness. I want to close with two questions this morning. The first question is this. that The ultimate brokenness is in a broken relationship with your creator, with your savior. If, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've not invited him into your life, that is the ultimate brokenness and nothing else is going to make sense until that brokenness is mended. And so with no, no music, no anything else, just us and your spiritual family, that's question number one I'm going to ask. Is there anyone right now that would just stand up and say, Pastor Troy, I need Jesus in my life. I need to invite him into my heart. I want to have this relationship with God that I was meant to have all along. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer to receive this gift of salvation that Jesus offers to you. And we're just going to hold about 10, maybe 15 seconds. If that's you, I invite you to stand. And then I'm going to move on to another question. But if there's someone that wants us to pray with you, man, we'd love to do that. We had someone in the first service receive Christ as Savior. Is there anyone in this service I'd just like to stand up right where you're at and say, that's me, I want to become a Christian. All right, question two is this. Is there anybody right now who you'd say, yes, I'm a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus. Maybe it was in the recent past. Maybe it was years ago. But there's this brokenness in my life that Satan is using to just beat me half to death with. There's this brokenness in my life that I feel like Satan is using it to help me understand who I am as a child of God. Maybe it's kept me from being involved with ministry or helping others because I just feel like I'm not worthy or whatever the case may be. Maybe this brokenness has been keeping you down and you want to say this morning, Pastor Troy, I'm going to surrender this brokenness to the feet of Jesus 
and I want you to lead me in prayer just before we dismiss. I'm just going to hold for about 10 or 15 seconds. Is there anyone like that that would stand up? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? I, I don't want Satan to have victory over. Amen. Praise the Lord. Another one. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I, I don't want Satan to keep beating me up with my brokenness, but I want to use it for the glory of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Lord, I thank you for these folks who have stood. And they're, they're just, Lord, I believe they love you. I believe they, they, they love you. And they want to live for you and they want to serve you. And yet, God, there's this brokenness in their lives that maybe Satan has used it to hold them down, to hold them back, to keep them where they don't feel like they can live for you or serve you or that they're of any value to you or others around you. I don't know what it is. But, Father, right now, right now, we just surrender this to you, Jesus. We just surrender this to you. And in this moment, we lay this at your feet. And we are no longer going to allow Satan to beat us up with this stuff. And we're going to take the necessary steps that we need to, say, to take to continue to seek help and counsel and, and direction in our lives. But this morning, we are taking the first step to go, this is not me. This is not who I am. And I am going to allow God to use it for his glory. I am going to take off the mask. I'm going to surrender it. And I'm just going to do everything in my power to use this to help others around me. And we're doing this right now through the help of the Holy Spirit and by the name of Jesus Christ. Satan, we bind you. We bind you in the name of Jesus because we know that you use this stuff to just take the joy from Christians, to rob them of their ministry and their effectiveness. But Satan, we bind you this morning and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, we just pray that you would open eyes and wake up hearts and help us, Lord, in this moment as we surrender to you to just be released from this and help us to use it for your glory, to allow you to use it for your glory. Lord, we need the power of your Spirit because this is not in any sermon. This is not in any song. This is not in any program. This is the work and the beauty of your spirit working in our lives. And God, we need you to do that right now. And I ask everyone else to stand with us with your head still bowed as we support these around us who are standing. Heavenly Father, help us as a church. May New Life Church of the Nazarene be that church where people don't feel like they have to walk in wearing a mask, where people don't have to be ashamed that they have some brokenness in their life. But Father, may we be comfortably uncomfortable in this place as we enter your presence and we don't check the baggage at the door when we come into New Life, but we can bring our baggage right in and we can lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, God, use it. Use it for your glory. Use it for your glory. God, may I be a pastor that is honest and transparent with those around me. May we be a church who's honest and transparent about our brokenness. God, you didn't come to save those who have it all together. You came to save those who are broken. You died on a cross for those who are broken. And Father, we're all broken. In some way, shape, or form, whether it's now or something in our past, now, Lord, help us to surrender this for your glory. Help us to give this to you.
Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of your spirit, even in the quietness of this moment. Lord, do your work in our lives. And Father, may we as New Life Church leave this place, walk out of these doors. May we not keep this message of hope to ourselves, but Lord, may we carry this message of hope to a lost and a dying and a broken world and let them know through our lives and through our words that Jesus loves them and Jesus has a purpose for them and Jesus wants to use them and Jesus wants to bring transformation in their lives even in the midst of brokenness. That doesn't stop you. That's where you do your work. May we carry that message. Thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of your spirit this morning and for the work you're doing in the lives of people. And all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for being with us this morning. We love you guys. Angels